Chapter 9 of St. Joseph of Copertino. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tatiana Cicilla. St. Joseph of Copertino by Reverend Angelo Pastrovici. Translated by Reverend Francis S. Lang. My life is hid with Christ in God. In spite of the honors bestowed upon him, our saint remained humble. From his lips no one ever heard a word in his own praise. He habitually regarded himself as the least of all men, and called himself a man dead and useless to all purposes, or brother ass, or the most wicked and infamous sinner among men. He once said that if he had aught of good, it came from God, who generally made use of the greatest sinners to perform great things. On seeing people and princes come to him, he said in astonishment, I know not why these people come to me, for I am but an ignorant man and a poor sinner. After a visit by persons of rank, he would fall on his knees, kiss the floor, and repeat the words, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to thy name give glory. He then repeatedly struck his breast and wept bitterly because of such visits. The actions of the saint suited his words. He humbled himself not only before his superior, but before all his brethren, undertook with joy the lowliest tasks, detested all praise, and took pleasure in being insulted and despised. One day, while the saint was in his cell, speaking to other religious on spiritual things, his confessor unexpectedly entered, and, to try the saint's humility, scornfully said, "'What did you say, hypocrite?' Joseph, without showing the least resentment, replied, "'What you say is true,' and then covered his face with both hands. In his efforts to hide the gifts and graces he received from God, he ascribed the supernatural perfume which emanated from his person to aromatic substances which he designedly carried around with him. It was ascertained, however, that the odor was present even if he carried nothing, or even malodorous things about his person. His ecstasies and flights he called sleep, infirmity, frailty, or physical weakness. Often, when he felt ecstatic impulses of love, he would say, in order to avoid the admiration of men, Enough, enough, cease, cease, no further, and begged God to deprive him entirely of such heavenly consolations. He was wont to extol the virtue of humility and to admonish others to practice it. To the novices in particular, he said, Some of you will be called to preach, but not be elated because of that for a preacher is like unto a trumpet which produces no tone unless one blows into it. Before preaching, pray to God, Thou art the Spirit, and I am but the trumpet, which, without thy breath, can give no sound. The following instance shows how he endeavored to humble himself. While at Copertino he went, upon command of his superior, to the house of a lady who was a member of the Third Order. While there, another tertiary came on a visit with her child, about three years of age. Joseph caressed the child, placed it on a chair, and said, Little one, repeat after me. Brother Joseph is a great sinner, and when he dies, he will go to hell. But the child, hardly able to speak distinctly and unable to understand the meaning of the words, replied clearly and distinctly, Brother Joseph is a great saint, and when he dies, he will go to paradise. The saint rejoined with seeming anger, Will you not speak as I prompt you? Now say as I do, Brother Joseph is a great sinner. But the child repeated his former words, Brother Joseph is a great saint. Joseph, taking the child by the ears and hair, said, Will you not say as I do? And again prompted, Brother Joseph is a great sinner, and when he dies, he will go to hell. But the child repeated a third time, Brother Joseph is a great saint, and when he dies, he will go to paradise. Those present were touched unto tears and convinced that God had wished, by the mouth of an innocent child, to reward and exalt Joseph because of his humility. Pope Innocent X, on learning of Joseph's many rare gifts and of the concourse of people who went to Assisi to visit him, decided to remove him in order to shield and preserve his sanctity. By written order of the General Inquisition to the Father Inquisitor at Perugia, 
Father Joseph was transferred to the monastery of the Capuchins at Pietra Rubia. This monastery was built on the slope of Mount Carpegna, in the Diocese of Montefeltro, Duce of Urbino. The papal command was executed July 23, 1653. Although Joseph, by divine revelation, saw this trial, he manifested some anxiety, because he wished to live with his beloved fellow religious near the tomb of his seraphic father. In fact, he was so frightened that the father Custos had repeatedly to reassure him. Obedience, however, prevailed over his fears, and kissing the feet of the father inquisitor, he hurried into the carriage which stood ready. Tranquil of heart he undertook the journey, even though he knew not the destination. The journey was an occasion for a new manifestation of the saint's virtue. In a litter carried by two mules, which was substituted for the carriage at Cita di Castello, he crossed ravines and rocks without mishap, to the great astonishment of his companion. On the arrival at Pietra Rubia, he prostrated himself at the feet of the guardian, whom he recognized, though he had never seen him before. This superior had received strict command from the father inquisitor to restrain Joseph from associating with others than Capuchins, and from corresponding with anyone. The saint was so perfectly obedient in all things that he took no step without leave of the superior, and never inquired as to the reasons for the restrictions to which he was subject. At Pietra Rubia, Joseph continued to practice mortification, patience, and every other virtue. At times he would weep bitterly over the sufferings of Jesus Christ. At other times, he would joyfully sing his usual spiritual hymns, in which he occasionally invited the Capuchins to join. Here, too, he was favored by God with a knowledge of the secrets of others, with revelations of future events, with frequent miracles, with apparitions of angels and saints and of Jesus Christ himself, and with continual ecstasies in his cell or in the garden, but especially at the altar. The Inquisition intended that the saint should remain hidden in the solitary mountains. God, however, permitted him to become so widely known that the church could not hold the crowds which gathered to assist at his mass. Because of this, some removed the roof, while others broke openings into the wall of the church in order to see him. For greater convenience, many built themselves huts near the monastery or even erected inns. The saint stayed three months at Pietra Rubia. Then command was given by Rome to the Archbishop of Urbino to remove him to the Capuchin Monastery at Fossimbroni. Mario Viviani, canon and archpriest of the cathedral, was entrusted with the execution of the task. Our saint, buoyed up by the thought that God is everywhere, undertook with joy this journey to Fossimbroni. It was characterized by frequent ecstasies and miracles. A stubborn mule, attached to the saint's litter, and a horse used by one of the party, which before had refused to bear any burden, were quiet and obeyed the voice of the guide during the journey. A violent shower, which annoyed the others very much, did not even moisten the saint's garments. Although the greatest secrecy was observed, his arrival at the monastery of Fossimbroni became known at once to the people. They came in throngs to the monastery, desirous to see the saint and to commend themselves to his prayers. And they came in such numbers that, for fear of violence, the friars dared not go out, but concealed themselves within the convent. In spite of this concourse of people, Joseph was dead to the world and isolated to such a degree that he said mass at a private altar prepared for the purpose. Here was verified his reply to the father guardian, who had asked him one evening, when about to retire, "'What are you doing here, Friar Joseph?' The saint had joyfully answered, "'I am burying one who is dead.' The solitude gave him so much greater freedom for God, with whom he conversed without interruption. The virtues of the saint most remarked during his stay at Fossimbroni were charity toward the sick religious of the monastery and obedience. The saint did not even go down into the garden without special permission, although he was free to do so. Of the many ecstasies which occurred at Fossimbroni, three deserve special mention. The first took place in the monastery garden when a capuchin, in the presence of the saint, spoke of the glories of Mary. Uttering his usual loud cry, the saint ran towards the speaker with outspread arms, and with such impetuosity that both fell to the ground. 
the other capuchins, hearing the noise, hastened thither and saw Joseph immovable and in ecstasy, in which condition he remained about an hour and a half. The second rapture occurred in the same garden on the evening of the Sunday on which the Gospel of the Good Shepherd is read. Joseph happened to see a lamb in the garden, and mounting as usual from created things to the contemplation of the supernatural, joyfully said, Look, a lamb! When he was about to take hold of it, a friar quickly lifted it and placed it in his arms. After petting the animal, he took hold of its feet and placed it on his shoulders. Absorbed in contemplation of the good shepherd, he then began to run about the garden, saying with joy to the guardian, Father guardian, see here the good shepherd who brings back the lost sheep. Finally, he threw the lamb into the air and flew after it above the highest trees, where he remained enraptured, kneeling with outstretched arms for more than two hours, to the amazement of the religious. The third ecstasy was experienced by the saint on Pentecost, when, during his mass, he came to the words of the sequence, Veni Sancte Spiritus, the fire of divine love burst forth with such power in his breast that he tore himself from the altar, and, with a noise like thunder and the speed of lightning, gyrated about the whole chapel with such impetuosity that all cells of the dormitory shook, and the terrified religious ran out from their rooms, crying, An earthquake! But, on entering the chapel, they discovered the cause of the disturbance to have been the saint, whom they found in ecstasy and absorbed in contemplation of the divine comforter. Joseph spent about three years at Fossombroni, with the exception of a few days of a provincial chapter, during which he was, by command of the Holy Office, transferred to the Capuchin Monastery at Montevicchio. Here he lived with great joy, especially in consequence of a vision of the dear old saint, as he called St. Felix. After his return to Fossombroni, Christ appeared to him in the guise of a pilgrim and strengthened him. The Capuchins became attached to him and revered him because of the occurrences just related, the fulfillment of his prophecies, and his insights into the thoughts and secrets of others. To a priest he revealed the temptation that had disturbed him at Mass. To a novice he said, Son, you have a good mother. She blesses you daily with the sign of the cross. The novice later learned that his mother gave him this blessing each day from a balcony. The religious were attached to him also on account of the holy admonitions which he gave them. One religious asked him whether he knew that those who carried the rule of St. Francis about their person would be blessed by the seraphic father. Joseph replied, I know it well, but it is far better to have the rule in one's heart than to carry it about. By reason of these and many other happenings, it was not surprising that these pious religious were grieved to learn that the saint was about to leave them. End of chapter 9